Hi, and welcome to the Overflow Podcast. I'm Chuck Ammons, teaching pastor at Overflow Church in Brandon, Florida, and we are here to help you receive the Father's love and to release it to everyone you encounter everywhere. Wherever you're listening from today, your God adores you. I pray this message elevates and ignites your faith. On this podcast, you will find biblical messages to activate your faith, as well as our You Asked For It series, where we address your questions about trusting God's goodness as Father and living out His fullness as beloved sons and daughters. To find out more about Overflow Church, visit us at myoverflowchurch.com or on Facebook at Overflow Church Brandon. We'd also love to encourage you to check out our book, Life in the Overflow, and its accompanying devotional at Amazon.com. All right, well, good morning. We're greeting you from the dark, and God said, let there be light. There it is. As we are continuing this message series about stepping into the wholeness that God has for us that results in holiness, we're also starting our fifth year as Overflow Church. So as we're starting year five, um, I wanted to take an opportunity for us together to get to know and see and hear all of our pastors and hear how they help bring fullness to us. So I am joined up here today by our own missions and outreach pastor, Pastor Aaron. And Pastor Aaron, my sister, my friend, um, we have gone on a number of adventures together uh, with Jill and I and Mickey and Aaron. They've become traveling buddies. We've gone uh, under their leadership to Haiti. We've gone together to Nigeria. We've gone to London. Uh, we found ourselves, uh, Pastor Aaron came with Valley's Inn when we went to Nashville and actually recorded and was with us there at the historic Art House Studios as we were recording. And many of you may not know this about Pastor Aaron. She's not... Um, just a pastor. She is also an author. So Pastor Aaron has written this amazing book called Unadulterated. I got to tell you, listen, if you have not read this book, you need to do yourself a favor and get this book and read it because it's all about how God's scandalous grace meets us in the places where we feel most unequipped, where we feel most disqualified, where we feel that we have most missed it. And one of the things I had the joy of being able to write the foreword here and what I've said about Aaron here, and I say repeatedly, is that my sister Erin is a rare treasure. And by that, I don't mean that God has given her something that he hasn't given to the rest of us. I mean that she's a rare treasure because she has taken and fully surrendered everything that he gave before him to love. And so what what Erin does, I don't know anybody better that sees people, that celebrates people, that makes them her people, and then elevates people. Many of the things that you're going to see is that is I you know we say that Aaron is kind of a backbone here at our church because many of the things that you see about how we're living on mission radically and boldly in celebration every day, Pastor Aaron has been the one uh, to go to go to bat and also is the one leading a lot of those systems. So I celebrate you today, and I would love for our church to hear if you could share your role at Overflow, how long you've been in that role and what you're doing as our missions and outreach pastor. Yes, you have a way of always making this evangelist speechless. When he, I walk into a room with Pastor Chuck, he's always elevating people. Um, I have been at uh, this church for eight years, um, Overflow. As, as its inception, I joined along in the fold there. So 
Um, I've been pastoring here since that time, since we became Overflow. Um, so that was, yeah, I'm on my fifth year too, learning how to, you know, I'm going to go we're to school soon. Around. We're doing yeah. it. Um, so I'm really going to learn some things, I think, this year <laughs> as, I, as I enter kindergarten in my pastoral suit. Um, yeah, and that was your question, I think. Yeah, and, yeah. Then, and then what's your role? Tell us your role as mission. Oh, yes. Pastor. Too bad I don't have a ball to throw like <laughs> Pastor Chris. Um, I serve, I think, if there's any place where there's a first impression on campus, I'll, I oversee that. So our digital outreach team... Um, with the direction of Courtney Lambert. Um, I oversee that team, the buildings and grounds, including our aesthetics, and, um, and then the hospitality team. So any place where there's a first impression that our guests might come in as the uh, resident evangelist here, um, that's my role, to make sure that they feel welcome. So if you're a new first-time person, welcome. I hope we, our teams have done well to serve you today. Yeah. And so that would be Aaron's role as missions and outreach pastor Sunday mornings. And then what you're going to find is for her, it's going to spread two levels beyond that. So one is we're a missional community church. And so you're going to find that much of where we're walking on mission, she's leading that. And then also we're a church that's been called to brand in the Bay and beyond. And so can you just speak just briefly about your role as it pertains to our missional communities? Mm -hmm. And then really that beyond piece of where God's calling us out in, in mission as a church. Yeah, so that's really where my, my heart lies. Um, where I get my, my hands very dirty is in the places of connecting missional communities to their mission. Um, I, I have a great passion for that. I want to see the church. I love the bride of Christ. And many evangelists, they'll get... Um, if they'll get tired of the church because they don't move fast enough. And so they want to go out, out, out. But it really is in the organization and the beauty of the bride of Christ that evangelists elevate and wake up the slumbering saints inside the church. And so when evangelists leave the church, the body is missing. It's missing out on kind of the feet that make it move. Um, so you'll hear that language a lot from me. Let's move. Let's go. Um, and so I vet the missions uh, partnerships that we have to make sure that they're legitimate and that you guys as missional communities aren't wasting your time. So I kind of go first in that way. And then beyond that, any of our missions um, outside of the walls of this church, I that's just where I like to be. I always would prefer to be outside the doors and with people who are just don't know a lot of Jesus at all. And so the kind of dirtier they are, the darker it is, the, the more I like to be there um, because I just light shines brightest in the dark. So that's where I love to be. Yeah. And we get to go actually outside of the walls next week yes. as we celebrate our birthday together. So we're not going to be here next week. Yeah. Tell us where we're going to be. We're going to be at Tony Saladino Park. And we have these beautiful grounds here, right, that, that just could hold us all. But the vision really is to get the church as often as possible outside the walls to say, hey, we're here. The, the church is really meant to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And so the idea is that all week long we're out there doing the work of the ministry so that when we come in, we're celebrating what God has done, we're reflecting on what he's done, and then we're being equipped and encouraged to go back out. And so that's really what this Sunday morning gathering is. But in our westernized 
culture, we've said, if somebody wants to know about Jesus, they should come in the door. That's really a, a defective mode. <laughs> That's really not what it was intended to be. It was intended for us um, in our in who we are to be outside um, in our sphere of influence, and then not just inviting them into church, inviting them into our home, into our lives, and then building faith one layer at a time with people as they grow. And then when they're ready to be equipped and encouraged and celebrated and all that, then coming inside. So, um, yeah, that's kind of the role of us as saints. That's so good. And then Pastor Aaron and Mickey together oversee our missions to Haiti and Nigeria, and we're looking at where that's going to spread more to the beyond. So mm -hmm. maybe the easier way we could have done this interview is like to tell you what Pastor Aaron doesn't do <laughs> at the church, but, but she is doing a whole lot and bringing a whole lot of glory. And so this is the part, this is my favorite question that I get to ask our pastors, because I believe that when we agree with what heaven is saying on earth, things change. And so again, as God has positioned her as our outreach pastor, I want to ask the question, what is God stirring on your heart that you are expectant for? in 2023 for Overflow Church that you believe God wants to do here? Well, I, I believe that God is the sign of, of an evangelist, that what we see Jesus doing is bringing people together through signs and wonders. And not that we, we need that to believe in him, but I believe that there is a, a lack of faith in the church, in the body of Christ, to say that we don't need that anymore or that he... And and I believe that we're to come expectant to see him do the things that he's always been doing um, and to just radicalize our and shift from our intellectual selves to a spirit of faith. And so I want to see a spirit of faith grow in the body of Christ, that we would come expecting God to do things that we've never seen, um, to see his fullness on display in each of us and not just for the, the mighty Christians. Um, but I, I just, I, ha I keep pondering this question of, um, he tells us to seek and we'll find him. And I wonder how many times we've had enough of him and we've stopped seeking. And so my, my prayer is that we would seek and seek and seek um, and that's what he came to do is to seek and save the lost. And, and I believe that's our, our job, too. So that's why I'd love to see the church come out of hiding and do. Come on. So your outreach pastor says, your outreach pastor says that what she believes the Lord wants is a deeper radical faith for the church that we would be filled with awe. Can we agree with that? Because I'll receive some of that, a deeper radical faith. That I, Three people can agree that we want a deeper radical faith. To be filled with awe. Yeah. All right, so this is what we're going to do. We're going to receive that. So hand on, your, hand on your heart. Say, God, I receive it. I receive it. And now what I want you to do is take that hand. I want you to extend it to Pastor Aaron because we believe blessing is the language of heaven. And I want you to just join me right now. Father, we bless our outreach pastor, our sister, and our friend. And the word that I heard for Aaron today is I was asking the Lord, just walking this morning asking. I heard the word, and so I'm just going to speak it. I heard the word more, mm. more. More. You've reminded us, Lord, that what you said in the parables, you say that those who came and took and fully invested what you have to them will be given more, exceedingly abundantly more. So I pray, Lord, that there would be a multiplication in every area of Aaron's dreams, her hunger, her prayers. I pray that as she said before, she said she goes before. So deeper faith, deeper radical faith and awe. Lord, we receive that you would lead the way through your daughter here. So give her more. Give her more. We bless her. We bless Mickey. We bless their girls. And we thank you so much for the joy they are 
at Overflow Church. If you agree with that, say amen. amen. Can we give it up for our missions and outreach pastor? And I'm loving this confetti here. Man, come on, it's a party. Listen, this is what I heard the Lord say this morning. There's two things that I heard as we were worshiping. One, looking at this confetti, especially for my dear friends Josh and Courtney and where they've gone. In in the scripture, it says that God takes our tears and he stores them up in a bottle. And I got to tell you, I saw two things when I saw this confetti. I saw a whole lot of tears that have been cried for these precious boys. Saw a whole lot of interceding and asking and moving. And God said, hey, that whole thing of where I'm storing up your tears in a bottle, this is what it's for. This is what I do in the kingdom. So I got to tell you right now, there's some place where you're going. Even when I ask the question, who wants deeper faith and who wants awe? I hope you know we're not a church that's trying to hype you up. It's just that the, the ridiculous goodness of God is better than we could possibly hype. And sometimes what happens is we go, who wants to be filled with awe? And it's like, we so want that. We're so burned by all of our tears. And I want somebody to know right now that God is in the process of transforming your tears into the confetti of heaven. Okay, so that's what he's doing. So what I want to ask this morning as we come is that we together would make an agreement that we're not going to be Christian unbelievers. Would that be all right this morning? That we would not be Christian unbelievers. And here's what I mean. That yes, we're going to heaven. Yes, we know Jesus. We signed the pledge card. We walked the aisle. We prayed the prayer. But we don't actually believe anything he's saying for today. That instead of leaping and jumping and shouting and praising the Lord, we're stuck and caught in wait and see. And so I just want you to, to join me right now. I just want to pray for us this morning. Father, I am asking for the grace for us not to walk as Christian unbelievers. Father, that as you say something today, as you reveal, because I believe from heaven you want to reveal things that are going to change things on our journey today. I believe, Lord, that you never waste a moment. You never waste a breath. Your very breath coming into our lungs. There are places you want to breathe in us anew today. There are agreements that you want to break. And so, Father, we're not going to trust our intellect, our reasoning. We're not going to trust a presentation. What we're asking for is the grace from heaven, the transforming grace that we would believe what you say. Father, let it land on fertile soil today. If you agree with that, say amen. amen. First Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9, it says this says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all of this, you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and you are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the very salvation of your souls. I want you to see three things here in this passage. Great mercy, new birth, living hope. 
great mercy, new birth, living hope. He starts off and says that what you and I have is great mercy. Listen, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. Quite literally what that means is our sins, our wayward ways are killing us. But great mercy has been given. What? That we are not getting the destructive wage we've earned. Mercy reverses death. That's good. Somebody say that's good. We're not getting the destructive wages that we've earned. There's great mercy, but it doesn't stop there. He's reversed death, but it's not that. It's great mercy and new birth. We've been given life. And I find many days I'm like Nicodemus going, God, I don't get it. How do we crawl back into our mother's womb a second time? He says, no, this new birth that I'm giving you is a birth of the Spirit. We shared last week that you and I are spirit, so you can't possibly be more spiritual. You are spirit, and in Christ you've been made new. What does that mean? It means that you and I now have a new heart that beats to know Him. We have a new mind that thinks the very thoughts of Christ. It says that you and I have the mind of Christ. That we have a new nature. What does it mean? That our heart isn't our own worst enemy anymore. So somebody look at your neighbor and say, I'm new, y'all. I'm new, y'all. And there is no way I can ever go back to what I used to be. So listen. So here it is. He gave great mercy. He gave new birth. And if we understand that, he says there's a result. And the result is this. Living hope. The word hope in the Bible It's an expectancy that God is good and that God is in control. Now, we have this value here at Overflow Church of expectancy, and we chose the word expectancy instead of expectation very deliberately. See, an expectation is when I'm in the driver's seat and I've got a picture of some good thing that I want for my life. I've drawn out the blueprints. I know where I want the bus to go. That is an expectation of good. In expectancy, we totally shift out of the driver's seat altogether. In fact, we say, I have no clue where this bus is going. I don't know how many turns and twists and rises and falls we're going to have on the path. I don't know how it's all going to work out, but I know this. I know that my God is good. And I know that my God is God. So where I am on the road right now, if it's not good yet, it's not over yet. See, expectancy gets out of the driver's seat and says, Lord, I'll let you drive. I'm going to stop demanding, understanding all of the answers. I just believe that you are good. A living hope. What does it mean that our hope is living? It means that it breathes, that it moves, that it grows up, that it runs, that it soars, that we don't just survive or get by, but that we live. What does God want for us this morning? Great mercy, new birth living hope. And here's what I love. This is just a few little verses. The beginning of this passage of Peter. And he says at the end of that, the reason that you and I can be confident that we have it is what? Listen, that Jesus Christ was resurrected from the dead and gave us an inheritance that can't die. Somebody say, it's not on me. It's not on me. It's like it's like being called out like, who's it? Not it. Not it. Who's your inheritance based on? Not it. It's not up to me. Why? Because my performance is going to be all over the map. But here's the deal. An inheritance is not up to you. 
See, an inheritance is based on the treasures that someone else earned. They were legally transferred to you by death because they adore you. Now, here's the only difference with a Christian inheritance. You know what it is? It's that our giver got him and us up out of the grave, and he walks with us today. That we have a living inheritance, and whether or not you know it today, it is being held in heaven for you. It's reserved. It's secure. Somebody can breathe in this morning. The papers have been signed, and it's done. When Jesus walked out of the grave, the enemy's plans for you stayed back in there. And here's the coolest part. This inheritance that we have from God is an account that we can draw from today by a thing called faith. See, we're called to live from the riches of our forever inheritance where there's always more than enough. And this is where I get excited. This isn't even what I'm preaching on today. But this is where I get excited. Peter says, if we would presently see our lives from God's perspective we would understand that what God is doing, 1 Peter 1, is that God is shielding us. In a way, much like the, the artist Kevin Carden captured, I love this picture here. Can we pull that up? In this painting of a father with his daughter. All she can see is her father's face and this gift of flowers that he's giving. In the same way, we are told that God is shielding us. Now here's the only difference. His shield never fails, and it's way bigger than anything that's coming against you today. And so Peter says, because of all of this, you greatly rejoice. Here's my question. Do you? i got to be honest, I don't. I don't nearly enough. I don't rejoice nearly enough. I get worked up about things that won't matter 12 days or even 12 hours from now. I'm prone to worry and to wander. I seem to forget. And then what happens is church becomes a pep rally to pump me up all over again to be convinced of what is already mine in Christ. There's a problem I'd see with modern Christianity. I would say it's, it's something like this next slide here. See, if Oprah gives away a car, these are the responses that we see all around us. People losing their minds. But when Jesus shows up and offers an eternal inheritance they can't spoil or fade, we're like, hmm, it's nice. I'll ponder on that for a little while. I'll consider that. Is this not what we do? Oprah shows up, you get a car. Ah! And you still got to pay the taxes on that thing. Ah! Jesus shows up and takes three little verses of the first ten minutes of what I've been talking about and says, hey, by the way, it's all yours because I got out of the grave and I brought you with me. And we're like, interesting. I'll think about that. And here's the deal. Listen, I don't think that the problem is that we don't love Jesus. We do. The problem is that we keep misunderstanding the circumstances and the story that we're actually in, and that keeps feet that were made to leap and shout stuck in wait and see. But there's a hope this morning. Somebody say, praise God. Praise God. We don't have to be Christian unbelievers. We could say this morning, Jesus, give me eyes to see, because when we see what he sees, we will greatly rejoice. 
I want to share this morning about how all of our lives is really a refiner's fire. It's what's going on right now. And at the end of this, for you and me, regardless of where you've come from, what you know, or how many issues you think that you're working through in your life, the end of this is us being whole. That together we will receive the end result of our faith, the wholeness, the rescue, and the salvation of our souls. I'm going to share this morning how in Christ we're already on the path and his work is already finished. So you're free to be filled with inexpressible and glorious joy right now. Somebody want a word for 2023? It's this. You're now free to move about the cabin. That's your word for 2023. He's done it all. You don't have to wait for something else to happen to be filled with inexpressible and glorious joy every moment. But if we're going to get it, we've got to understand the refiner's fire. And so we've started this year, 2023, in a fast. And we've had this corporate prayer together. And even as I read this again today, I want you to just be in agreement that this is what we're asking God to do in our midst. We yearn to see every man, every woman, and every child know they are held in God's adoring love. Amen? We yearn to see every man, every woman, and every child grow to be whole as who God always created them to be. Amen? And we yearn to see every man, woman, and child to come alongside of them so that Brandon, the Bay, and beyond comes home to the Father's heart. Amen? And so in this series, holiness, this is kind of the main idea that we've been driving. It's that us being holy, us being set apart for a life with God, comes only as the byproduct of us being whole us being healed and returned to the design that God desired for us, that holiness is the fruit of wholeness. And so if you remember last week, we shared how wholeness is the universal human hunger. We are all hungering full tilt all of the time for our God. We're homesick, and He is home. Today I want to share three truths about the refiner's fire and the process that God is working in our lives and our circumstances right now to bring us to the end of salvation, to bring us to a wholeness that results in holiness. And so this is our big idea today. If you're following along, and by the way, can we pull up real quick again, um, fill the QR code there? This is so cool, y'all. Listen, we've partnered with the Bible app, and so every week from now on, you'll see at the beginning of our message, some of y'all are like, Pastor Chuck, I love you. And I tried to follow along and write at the pace that you talk, and like I started a fire in my seat. Because you're going so stinking fast and I'm resenting you by the end of the message. You don't have to resent me or forgive me after church anymore. We've got an app right here. If you just scan the QR code here, uh, you've got that. And then on the Bible app, you can actually save that. So if there's a note that God speaks to you today, it'll keep it there. The Bible app stores it for you. So super, super cool. So if you want to follow along with notes today, you can just get it right there. If you don't, you can get back to sleeping or whatever you were doing. Um, (laughs) Just kidding. The big idea I want to give us today is this. Holiness. The wholeness that re- responds, uh, the, the results in holiness. Holiness is refined in every place we put faith in our Redeemer and not our reforms. Holiness is refined every place we put faith in our Redeemer and not our reforms. So three truths I want to share. Truth number one is this. God is continually refining us to trust and pursue Him 
and he works through our circumstances. God is continually refining us. What he's refining us to do is that we would trust him, that we would pursue him. That's the end of all of life. You need to know at every moment that's what God wants. God wants you to trust him. God wants you to pursue him. And what does he do most often? He works through our circumstances. Romans 8.28, we've knit this on a whole lot of pillows, but we haven't understood it very much. Romans 8.28, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For just a minute, can we confront some bad theology? I've heard many people say, when facing heartbreak, well, I know God's doing it for a reason. Anybody ever heard that? I know, I know there's a reason. I know God's doing this thing for a reason. And here's, here's the belief behind that. The belief is that we are passive and helpless and God causes our circumstances. And that is dangerous. I had people tell me at the age of six that my dad's death was a part of God's bigger plan. Go God. I've heard people say the same when they've been fired from a job, when they failed a class in school, when they're battling cancer, when a relationship has blown up in front of them, or when they're enduring great physical and emotional loss. And I want to tell you this right now. If you believe that God is causing your circumstances, two things are going to happen. Number one, at the deepest part of who you are, you will never trust God with your dreams and your hopes. Because you will secretly fear that he's the monster waiting in the dark to rip the rug out of you at any unexpected moment. Number two, if you think God is causing your circumstances, you will assign the fruit of the enemy as God. And then when you assign the fruit of the enemy as God, there's nothing left for you to do but to resign yourself to dysfunction as if it's devotion. I'm going to say that again because it's too good to not repeat. If you believe God is causing your circumstances you will assign the fruit of the enemy as God and you will resign yourself to dysfunction as if it's devotion. Please hear me. God is not causing all of your circumstances. Many circumstances that we have, listen, some of them are just the pain of our own bad decisions. We planted a bad seed in the ground and it is bearing bad fruit. It's cause and effect. And the only place we can name God is that God chose to create beings with the ability to choose. Intercede means to shine a light upon you in a dark place. It means in shining that light to plead for your every need to be met. And finally, intercede means to fall upon you. Jesus always lives to intercede for you. What's it saying? He comes into your circumstances. He shines the light on what's really going on. He pleads for the Father's heart to be met, and then he falls. What does that mean today? It means that wherever you find yourself, whatever your circumstances this morning, you can be assured that Jesus is already there, ready to shine on you, pleading as the fullness of the Father for your every need, which he's already purchased to be met, and ready to fall. What does it mean? Where you're running from God right now, he's interceding. Where you're having a bad day, he's interceding. When you just did that thing you promised you'd never do again and you're cursing yourself, he's interceding. When you don't feel it, he's interceding. When you don't understand it, he's interceding. When you're angry at him in the world, he's interceding. There has never been and there will never be a moment that God will not be on the scene in your life ready to fall so you will step from wherever you found yourself into the next step of wholeness. And all you and I have to do is stop trying to save ourselves and let him fall already. Yes. Yes. 
Our God is not rejecting us. He's always and only refining us. In just a minute, we're going to get free of an orphan spirit of rejection. But first, we've got to look at a third truth here. So the first one we said is this. God is always refining us, and he works through our circumstances to refine us. That whole thing of God just let life work for me, that's the wrong prayer. We can change it. God, just refine me. Make me like your heart. Wherever you are, I just want to be with you. The second one, we often confuse God's refining us with God rejecting us. And the third one is this, and this is where the rubber meets the road for you and I today. We will either trust God's ability to refine us through our circumstances or we will trust our own ability to realign our circumstances. We will either trust God's ability to refine us through our circumstances, or we will trust our own ability to realign them. I want to tell you this is the entire story of the Old Testament. All I call the Old Testament is failed attempts at reform while awaiting fierce rescue. That's all it is. It's reforms that we try over and over and over again. So go back to the beginning of the story. You remember Genesis chapter 3. As soon as we fell, God made a promise right there. He said that he was the one who was going to come as one of us to open up the way for all of us to come back home. But there's a problem. Eve didn't believe it. She was told that she'd have a seed to destroy the enemy, and she had a son named Cain. And you know what she named him? My weapon. That's what Cain means. Cain is my weapon, the one who's going to crush the enemy. Here's the problem. It was the wrong kind of weapon. We've been birthing a lot of the wrong kinds of weapons ever since. And from there, the Old Testament story, it's reform plan after reform plan after reform plan. We tried being one nation under God. Good thing we learned from that, America. I'm just saying, once again, not in my message, but come on. I'm sorry, not in my message, but come on for just a minute here. The ways that sometimes we come to the rest of the world in this paternalistic way of we're America, we're the one nation under God, and we're going to come fix everything else. All right, I'm meddling. I'm going to come back to my message. But another message coming in the future. God didn't call one nation under God. He called for every tribe, tongue, and nation to know him as God. Okay, that's the difference. And I'm grateful for my homeland. Are you grateful? I'm grateful for my homeland. Grateful for the sacrifices there. But listen, the reforms that we try to say, we're going to make ourselves holy enough. If we could just get prayer back in school, everything's going to be right. Oh, good Lord. Listen, I'm going to meddle for a minute. I'm sorry. I'm going to meddle for a minute. We put out all this stuff that we want to be pro-life, and most of the church actually just wants to be pro-birth, Okay. That's the problem. So we come to people that are in very difficult places. And I'm going to be one of the most pro-life, but I'm pro-all of life, pro-abundant life. So what am I saying? When they're in the middle of a foster crisis right now, that's pro-life coming and saying that they get there. When we see refugees that are displaced from their homes, that's pro-life. When you look and see that we're the richest 1% of the world, and Jesus says that it's hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of God because of the deceit of their own riches, that's pro-life. And so if we're going to be pro-life, let's be all pro-life, first of all. And maybe the second one is we can get off the soapbox of trying to be the Savior of the world and we can just worship him. Okay, I'm done. I'm going to get back to my message now. I'm probably getting an email somewhere. Okay. It was worth it. We tried our reform plans. Forming one nation under God. Conquering enough land by manifest destiny. Setting up holy legislation. We just get enough laws, 613 laws, and it'll be enough. We tried judges and kings and prophets and priests, and none of them could save us. 
And then finally it says, when was God going to come? In the fullness of time. Listen, the fullness of time had nothing to do with God. It had everything to do with us. We had to run out of our reform plan. So finally, you know what ended up happening? We ran out of things, and for 400 years, everything fell silent. And God looked and said, are you done? You don't have any more plans to save yourself? I'd like to take you back to Genesis chapter 3. And a seed was born of a woman, a voice coming out of the wilderness. Salvation is here. See, the problem all through the Old Testament is the people didn't believe that God was sufficient to refine them. So instead, they tried to realign their circumstances through their own reforms. And we're still doing it. I would call this when I can, then I can thinking. It works like this. When I can lose the weight, then I can finally feel worthy or beautiful. When I can get my dream job, then I can finally rest. Until then, I've got to climb the corporate ladder and figure it out and strive and I'll sleep when I'm dead. When I can find love, then I can be whole. In fact, researchers have said, looking at the top places that we look for happiness, things that we believe, they've listed the top eight. I want you to see this on this next slide. The top eight things that we believe will make us happy, the wrong things that we trust. Number one, we look for happiness in our next purchase. I'm going to buy something, right? There's a reason Amazon is killing it right now because it's number one on the list. Number two, in the next payday, that's either through our salary or the lottery. Man, the lottery is climbing. If you ever read the statistics of people who read the lottery, win the lottery and what happens afterwards, it's because, again, when you're chasing that is, is the source of your hope and you get to the top of the pinnacle, you're going to find you're more miserable than you've ever been. Number three, they trust their next relationship. Oh, I just I need more friends. I'm lonely, or I need to fall in love, or my relationship with my spouse, or my relationship with my kids, or my relationship with my parents, and we fixate everything there. Number four, in their next physical enhancement, I like how they said that. It's a real nice way to say it. Diet, or an exercise plan, or a haircut, or getting a look. I got a look when I was growing up from my parents, but that was a different thing. That was a look like you're <laughs> disobeying. Number five, in their next competition, something they can conquer. Number six, in their next job. Number seven, in their next escape, an adventure or a vacation or an experience. And then number eight, in their next barrier to blame, the lie believing that it's a person or a situation that is the source of our unhappiness. Now, I got to tell you, when you look at this list, some of these things, not all of them, number eight, we just need to strike number eight. That's scapegoating. Jesus came as the last scapegoat. You don't need a scapegoat. Anybody else, okay? But many of these, when they're in their proper place as a response to God inviting us into wholeness, they could be awesome. So I want to be really clear here. I, there, I have nothing against goals and discipline. I set many goals in my life. I set goals in how much I'm going to run. I set goals in the number of books I'm going to read a year. I set goals every week in the time I'm going to spend as a writer. I set goals in my eating. I'm a very goal-oriented person. I have no problem with goals. In fact, I believe that's a, a great place that God grows us up into maturity, doing things over time that lead us to health. That's awesome. But there's two dangers with our goals. Danger number one is when you write a plan for your life that is driven by you and not obedience or sensitivity to God. You've come up with a plan of what you believe, and that's going to make me happy, and then you're expecting God to come through. Number two, when we base our wholeness or our value or our joy or our worth on how well we execute the plan. Because here's the problem. Our performance is going to ebb and flow all over the map by a million factors that are not in our control. And if you and I can't hold on loosely to let God lead and redirect, we will lose our peace because we'll find ourselves striving for happiness 
where what we needed was wholeness. There are many people today that what they're doing with their life is they're striving for happiness. It's the same way that if you strive for holiness, you're never going to get there because the Lord makes you holy. You strive for happiness, I'm going to tell you, one of those eight is not going to be working out for you. And there's always going to be another mountain to climb and something else that you've got to figure out. And you will curse yourself or you will scapegoat someone else. We search for happiness when what we actually need is wholeness. And this is what you'll find when you seek wholeness and put your life under the Lord. Then holiness and happiness come as a fruit. And man, it's a tasty and beautiful fruit when it comes that way. There's a further problem with this thing of our goal setting. There's only room for one God in every area of our life. And God's not going to be able to lead where we've already coronated another king. See, we as as American Christians have this tendency to put our life in all these boxes, don't we? This This is my physical health life, and this is my friend life, and this is my acquaintance life, and this is my work life, and this is my fitness life. And we we go through all these things and we put it in boxes, and we're notorious for spiritualizing the idolatry of self as a virtue. And here's what I mean. We show up and say, I'm going to serve God so that God gives me fill in the blank. If I'll follow the rules, then man, the blessed life, the blessed life is I follow the rules and God gives me what I want. But we often fail to see that all we're doing is re-wallpapering the Tower of Babel. Come on, that's good. (laughs) It's a contract where we say, God, I'm going to construct my life by my blueprint and then I'm going to offer religious sacrifices and your job, God, is to bless me and to make my life work for me. And what we miss is that we're trying to make God in our image instead of the other way around. And to that, God gives us this beautiful gift called the refiner's fire to burn off what isn't ours anymore, to burn off what won't satisfy anymore, that we can surrender and stop being the general contractor of our own life. Can I just say this? If Jesus is your co-pilot, then you're sitting in the wrong seat and you're about to crash. Okay? Because I'm just saying, if we're going for a ride and I can have a choice of Jesus driving your car or you driving your car, I'd rather you not be like, Jesus is my co-pilot. I'd rather you move over and let him drive. (laughs) Somebody was in pain there. (laughs) Sorry. This is what I would say for us this morning to get very practical, and then then we're going to apply this. I think it's time for you and I to stop trying to realign our circumstances and instead to surrender and let him refine it. And if you'll do that, you're going to find for some of you this morning, you're going to think, I'm just going to surrender, and you're going to actually walk out of here with more action steps than you've ever had that are going to look like discipline, that are going to look like structure, that are going to look like a plan. It's going to look like, oh, man, here's a diet plan that I need to do, or here's an exercise plan I need to do. But this is what I want you to understand. If you've gone the other way and said, Lord, I'm surrendering to you and hearing, then you can respond in a way that suddenly looks like refining, where before you would have done the same thing, and it was simply realigning. One is never going to work, the other one will. So for somebody this morning, maybe you've gained weight or you're living unhealthy and you feel within you right now that God is inviting you into health. We're going to talk about what to do about that. Maybe right now you're in debt and you've been cursing yourself and God is calling you out. We're going to talk about what to do about that. Maybe there's an addiction or a mindset or a depression and and you so desperately are desiring freedom and hope. We're going to talk about what to do about it. But the difference is this. What we're going to do in just a moment is not strive and come up with things anymore. We're simply going to let go and let him lead. Did you know that God wants his plan for your life more than you do? Isn't that good? God wants his plan for your life more than you do. God wants fullness more than you do. So what does it look like? 
It looks like coming to this place. And say, Father, I believe right now that you are already pleased with my heart. You've already given me an inheritance that can never spoil or perish or fade. I'm already on the road to wholeness that results in holiness. So I have one question today. Not what am I going to do, but Father, what do you say? And as I hear what you say, I'm going to commit to follow you as I walk in the midst of a spirit-filled, spirit-centered community down a long road of refining. So for somebody this morning, the hope that we need is to stop trying to hold our lives together and to let the refiner in. And so in this, I want to give a time of a clear activation. What I've been doing these first few weeks is asking, if you take your phone out with me. We've been taking some notes these first few weeks. And Nathan, I'm just going to invite you to go ahead. Lead us in a time here. I'm going to ask that you would take your note out. Maybe you have a notepad that you've started a few weeks ago about how the Lord is speaking to you and asking. And first, in a minute, we're going to stand up. We're going to release some things. We're going to be ministered to. It's going to be awesome. But first, I want an honest minute between us and God. There are three questions I would like for you to put in your phone. And we're going to allow a little bit of time and a little bit of space. And I'm simply asking this right now. Holy Spirit, as you delight in us already as you love us. And Father, as I know in this room that we love you. We want you. Would you come and speak? Would you give us your thoughts? Would you give us your heart? Question one, I want to encourage you to write on your phone is this. What circumstances am I trudging through in my own strength? Question one. What circumstances am I trudging through right now in my own strength. This is something that you're going to look at in your life and you know it doesn't look like the fullness of what God is inviting you into. Maybe right now it's that, it's physical health. God's telling you to lose weight or take better care of your heart or your cardiovascular system or to exercise or to change the way you eat because of a doctor's report and you've just been carrying it around like some kind of scarlet letter. You've been trudging through in your own strength. Maybe right here you're going to write, getting out of debt, I feel like I'm buried in a mountain of debt. Maybe you're going to write, I I seem obsessed with everyone else's approval of me. Maybe it's a freedom from a thought pattern or an addiction. It's just this thing that you keep coming back to that doesn't feel like life to its fullness. It just feels like trudging through. Maybe you'll write the relationship with one of your kids or your spouse or a friend or a coworker. Maybe right now you're just so sick and tired of being sick and tired. Maybe right now you'd say, you know what? I, I'm letting my schedule dictate my life. I'm given over to busyness. I feel like a machine and I'm exhausted. Somebody needs to know this morning, God would never do that to you. He wants faith like a child. So this first question, all I want you to ask, what circumstances am I trudging through in my own strength? Can I ask this? As you're looking at that list, can you just for a minute ask, God, is this your will for me or is this my own idea? He said, I feel like this needs to change in my circumstances. Is this... Your will, or is this my idea? Second question I want you to write is this. Where do I need to give Jesus the debt of my bad decisions? 
Where do I need to surrender control? Where do I need to give Jesus the debt of bad decisions? Come on, this is the place where we can get so free. There's something you've been doing and you know it doesn't match God's blueprint. There's something you've been doing and and you just feel it right now. Listen, that word to repent is where you literally just lay it down and say, Jesus, I choose your way. I won't hold this anymore. We're to pray shame off of you in Jesus' name. Second part of that question, where do you need to let go of control? Where is it, if you're really being honest, you think your vision for your life is going to take you further than God's vision for your life? And so you're holding on with a white-knuckled grip. And today he wants to show you, no, I'm really, really, really good. I've never been rejecting you. I'm always refining you to something greater than you could ask or imagine. You need to let go of control. I feel there's somebody here that your whole life has been driven by lists. You even have a list for how to manage all your lists. You have all the steps that you have to do. You go to conferences or messages, and it's always one, two, three, four, five, six. By the time you get done, it's more things than you could ever possibly do in the day, and God wants you to rip up your lists. God wants you to surrender your lists. You've been afraid of the messiness of your own heart as if it would be too much for God, and he wants you to surrender because he chooses you today. Where's he calling you to surrender? The third question is this. And then we're going to move. The third question. What would a Holy Spirit-led refining look like? And here's where I want to get really practical for a minute before you stand. Would you ask God in this moment, God, what are you wanting for me? And how can I join you? God, what are you doing in my circumstances? And how can I join you? Father, I ask right now that you would give us the gift of a spirit-filled imagination. That we'd be able to envision just a taste, just a glimpse of where our life could go with you. just take a minute right down right now this is what it would look like Lord to be free okay so if we've got it here's what I want to do we're going to respond collectively in releasing some things and allowing some of those places where we lay things down for God to come and fill us up so I'm going to ask with that right now if you would stand with me And we're going to do three things this morning. I'm going to ask our ministers to come up to the front. Now, I want to tell you in any part of what I'm about to say, if something resonates in your heart and you're like, I need somebody to pray with me about that, I don't want you to wait for a further invitation. I want you to come out from your seat and come straight to one of these ministers that they can agree with you. If the Lord says, this is what I'm doing, and I want somebody to pray with you or pray for you, you just step out. Here's the three things we're going to do. Number one, we're going to give Jesus right now the debt of our bad decisions. So I want you to imagine right now whatever it is that you've done to this point that you feel hasn't pleased the Lord. I 
Whatever it is you've done that you say, I'm, I'm seeing bad fruit because I put a bad seed in the ground. You got it? I want you to hold your hands out as if you're holding that thing. These are the things that I've held and maybe it feels like, man, it's a lot of things. This is what we're going to do. We're going to come right now and I want you in your own words to say this. Just quietly to him, Jesus, I chose to hold this. In my own brokenness, I picked up this. In some place, I thought I knew better than you. And it's too heavy for me. And I don't want it anymore. I've gotten myself in debt. And I'm exhausting myself trying to pay it off. But I have come to your throne because I hear that you have great mercy. I've come to lay it at your feet and not pick it up again. So on the count of three, this is what I'm going to ask every person to do, and I want you to see it. I feel the weight of it in my own hands right now. But on the count of three, you're just going to drop it at his feet. And I pray the Lord releases something in your life. Father, we come to release our debts and our burdens. One, two, three, let it go. Let it go. In Jesus' name, I say that every place where the enemy came to put shame on you for that thing, it's not yours anymore. Let go of it. That label doesn't belong to you anymore. Maybe you came in today and you were in debt when you came in today. I got to tell you something. You just transferred debts. That's Jesus' debt now. And Jesus always pays his debts. Your only job is just to walk with him. But somebody, you need to square your shoulders. You need to lift your head. You need to breathe in again as the beloved. You have never been able to save yourself. He's transforming your tears into the confetti of heaven. Would you just receive? And so I'm going to ask right now, Holy Spirit, would you fill each person? I'm going to ask for those hands to come out one more time. But we're going to do something different with our hands this time. We're not laying down a burden. We're receiving a filling. Father, I'm asking right now that you would fill up your sons and your daughters. Would you just tell them, Jesus, I just want you. Jesus, I just want you. Jesus, I just want you. Come speak to me. Come lead me. I'm asking right now that strategies from heaven be released to you. I'm asking right now that you would see where you're supposed to go in that place. Whatever that debt was, whatever that burden was, whatever that circumstance I'm asking right now that rejection be broken off of you in Jesus' name. Would you tell him, God, give me the grace to see you've never rejected me and you couldn't. Father, would you fill us, fill us, fill us. Here's the last thing we're going to do with your hands open before him. I want you just to ask him, Jesus, what do you say is the next step? In this long road to wholeness. Listen, he says, I'm leading you to ever increasing levels of glory. What is he saying? It's a marathon. Stop trying to figure out how to get to the finish line. You're already there in Jesus. You just need the next step. Holy Spirit, would you reveal the next step right now? Would you reveal the next step? Would you reveal the next step? Would you reveal the next step? I want to do this as a way for us to walk in this collectively together. As you have your eyes closed before the Lord, if the Lord has shown you something that he says, this is your next step, I'm just going to ask for you to lift one hand up. 
just so we see it. We're just going to stay here for a minute. The Lord has shown you something this week that he said, this is where I'm inviting you in into your next step of wholeness. Just hold your hand up. Yes, Lord, I pray for more that you would reveal the next step. That you'd reveal the next step. Would you just ask him right there from where you are, Lord, what is it you'd have me do? Father God, with these right now, I pray that your filling would come. I pray, Father, for a fresh anointing to be able to know, to hear, and to walk out everything that you've said. We will not misunderstand our circumstances. Just this last prayer. Would you say, Father, I invite your refining fire. It's a bold prayer. Would you say, Father, I invite your refining fire. Burn away anything that doesn't belong to me anymore.